Good morning and Merry Christmas to you. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we will be looking at verses 8 through 14. I call our attention to Christ today, uh, our Savior, our Lord. And we have lit today the Christ candle. It's white to represent the purity, the sinlessness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I want to call our attention to him today as being this child that was born just like us, born as a man just like us. And he came to be like us so that he could die on the cross. And in dying on the cross, he bore on himself the sin of everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Puts their faith in him. I want us to consider the message of the angels today and to think about the invitation that they gave. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been waiting for something with anticipation? Like when you go to a restaurant that has a wait. You ever go to those? May take 20 minutes, may take 30 minutes. You know it's got to be pretty good if it takes that long. But it's worth the wait. And... It's easy to get caught up in conversation and you not hear your name called. Has that ever happened to you? They come over the loudspeaker, D's party of five, D's party of five, and you just don't hear it. Or if you've ever traveled internationally and been sitting in an airport in a place like Ethiopia. Let me tell you what you don't want to do if you're in Ethiopia. You do not want to miss that flight because you're there for another another week if you do. (laughs) I mean, they don't fly out regularly to where you need to go. And so you don't want to miss that. So when they come over the, the intercom and they say, may I have your attention, please? And they may say it, you know, in Amharic, and you don't know what in the world they're talking about. But then they come through with English, and you're kind of like, hey, that's my flight. You don't want to miss that. The narrative today is the angels coming and saying, hey, let me have your attention. Let me have your attention. Listen to the message that I have to give. And I want us to see the, uh, the, the beautiful message that is coming through. And it comes out of the last verse. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. That's where our application is going to come from today. But I want you to see in the other verses how God is giving great assurance that this is real. This is true. The narrative that we're reading is historic and it's true. But not only that, the narrative that we are reading is speaking to us a truth. 
And it's an announcement that we need to heed and listen to today. That Jesus Christ has come. That a child was born, Savior, Christ, and Lord. And so I want us to see this today, and I want it to have application in our lives as to how we glorify God in the highest. It's not just about angels singing those words. It's about us living a life that encapsulates those words and puts forward and upward the glory of God. I want us to consider this announcement, and I want us to look at three things. First, the angelic manifestation. The angelic manifestation. I mean, imagine standing in a field and boop, there's a guy. You know? The angelic manifestation. Secondly, I want us to think about the angelic message. The angelic message. This message, this good news that was delivered by the angel. And then lastly, I want us to uh, think about the angelic magnification. The angelic magnification as they began to sing, all of them together. Glory to God in the highest. First, uh, let's consider the angelic manifestation. It says there in verse 8, and in the same region, that would be the region of Judea, the region uh, near Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Here we see shepherds doing what shepherds do. They're tending their flocks, and they're doing it at night. More than likely, they had some tents out in the field uh, to protect them from perhaps the chill of a night or uh, any kind of rain that would come or wind or anything like that. But they were camped out there that night, and they were tending their flocks and making sure that they did not run off or get attacked by wild animals. And it says and uh, points out to us that they were uh, there keeping watch over their flock and an angel of the Lord appeared. One angel, one single angel, poof, right there. It doesn't say that the angel walked up. That would be pretty common, you know. Uh, it doesn't say that, uh, that he strolled out from behind an olive tree. You know, and there was an angel. No, this was clear. The angel appeared. There's a reason that this word is chosen because, one, that's what happened. But, two, Luke is trying to bring out, God is trying to get the attention of these shepherds. And God is always trying to get the attention of his people and the attention of sinners. To hear the gospel. And so, poop, there's an angel. I don't know. That would just really freak me out. I, you know, I don't know if I would run or what. They didn't. It terrified them, though. 
But it's not just that the angel appeared. Look what it says. It also points out uh, that the angel appeared to them. That's the, the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. That's the shepherd. So this angel shows up and boom, there's the glory of God all around them. That, that glory of God or glory of the Lord is the shining forth of God's glory. It's the radiant glory of God. It's more than just saying, can I have your attention please? This is somebody shaking the world in order to make sure that they have your attention. The glory of the Lord shone around them. God wanted them to have no mistake, no mistake whatsoever. This is a message from God. One of his messengers, an angel, by the way, that's what the word means. Angelos, it means messenger. One of God's messengers has come to deliver a message, and there's some things you can know about that message. Number one, it's true. Okay? It's true. Number two, it's vitally important that you hear, that you listen. And so uh, we see that the, uh, the, the angel of the Lord shows up, the glory of the Lord so, I mean, God's just got this scene going on out there. He's like he's the producer of a, of a drama, and he says, you know what, let's sprinkle in some glory just to make sure that they get the point. It says here that the Shepherds were afraid and said, don't be afraid. This glory of God that is shining around them. Do you all know what normally accompanies the glory of the Lord? First, encouragement. Encouragement. I mean, he's wanting to deliver this message. I want you to know it's from me. Encouragement, it's what comes with the glory of the Lord. Look with me at Acts, Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, it says in verse 55, But he, that's Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And do you think Stephen went, Oh no, I'm about to die. No, that's not what happened. He, he goes, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You think Stephen was encouraged by that? Oh, yeah. I mean, here's Jesus Christ standing up. You never see Jesus standing by the right hand of the Father, but here you do. Jesus is going, at a boy, Stephen. It's encouragement. The glory of the Lord. It's encouragement. But it's also transformational. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 18, we see uh, where Paul is writing. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Transformation. That's what accompanies the glory of God. Transformation. We see later on in the narrative, we won't get to that today, that the shepherds, after the angel had gone, had a conversation. Hey, let's go see what these guys are talking about. They heard the message. They knew it was an important and an vital message. And they went to see this child who was born. Notice the specifics that come up in this text. We see the specifics of it being done on a day. The specifics of it being done in a place. This day is born to you. In a place, the city of David, which is Bethlehem. The angel showed up to deliver a message. And all this, all this drama, all this shining forth of the glory of God, all this an angel showing up, just appearing out of nowhere in the midst of the shepherds, was so that they would hear clearly the message that God had sent, that God had delivered to them. Verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and lying in a manger. He says, this is good news, euangelion. Good news of great joy. I got some good news for you guys. And it's with great joy. And it's for the people. There's intentionally, I believe... The the there, the definite article to point out the people, namely the Jewish people. It's the Jewish people that had anticipated the coming of the Messiah. They were looking forward to the day that he would come, and this announcement is saying he's here. And it's announced to some shepherds in a field. And look at how he describes this. He's, first of all, he says, fear not. I mean, that would be frightening. We've already talked about that a bit. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Look at the description. A Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. That's three titles that he uses. Three things he points to. Matthew one twenty one says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. He's Savior. He will save... His people 
from their sins. Uh, That's not just talking about the Jews, because I'm not a Jew. But I've been saved from my sins. You too? And so he saves his people, who he knows, from their sins. Isaiah describes him as wonderful. Wouldn't you agree? Counselor, mighty God, Savior, one who rescues, one who saves, one who sees need, one who sees lostness, and says, I will redeem. (laughs) I mean, when we think about it, Jesus Christ, he came into this world, the Bible, John chapter 1, tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word dwelt, tabernacled, pitched His tent among us. He stepped out of glory. I mean, can you all imagine? I mean, we really can't. I mean, we want people to go, you know what, you're great. But Jesus, for all eternity, has existed, and he left a place where his name was spoken and declared with great affection by all the myriads upon myriads of angels singing, glory to God in the highest, and holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God Almighty. I mean, can y'all imagine that? You can't really, can you? But that was his existence. His existence was that. And he said, let me go put on flesh. And the only way he could do that was being born as a babe. And so he was born. As a babe, just like you and I. At no point did he ever exist being God. Conceived in the womb of Mary, he was God. And this man, this God-man, lived a perfect, pure life. Sinless. Perfect sacrifice. To save and redeem all who call on his name. And he does that. You've experienced that, haven't you? Trusting in Jesus alone. God who stepped out of glory into gloom for your sake. But primarily for the sake of the glory of the Father. That's why. For the glory of God. Not because you were worth it, but because God is worth all praise and glory and honor. That's why. Jesus came here because He loved me so much. Jesus came here because He loves the Father so much. I'm not saying He doesn't love you. But the love of the Father and the love of the glory of God is greater in Jesus' mind 
than his love for you. (laughs) I'm thankful for that. Because any less obedience could not have saved us. He loves you. And I want you to know, we should feel and sense and know the weight of sinfulness and the weight of guilt that we have before a holy, loving God. This message delivered is a message that saves and redeems and transforms and encourages us to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. He calls us to that. It says he is our Savior. But not only that, the angel said, the good news of great joy is this. In the city of David is born to you a Savior who is Christ. He is Christ. He is the anointed one. That's what the Greek term Christos means. Anointed one. He is, and that anointed one, by the way, running back to the Old Testament, is the term Messiah. He's the one they were expecting. And the angel came and told a few shepherds and said, Hey, the Messiah, you've heard about him your whole life. He's being born today. They had anticipated his coming. They were looking forward to him. And he didn't come as a warrior. And he didn't come as a politician. And he he, he came as a baby. He came as this child. It's a little bitty thing. Y'all imagine the one who created all things. could be held like this in his mother's arms. The one who would eventually, on the cross, destroy the principalities, destroy the demonic on the cross, he could be held. In your hands, just like this. The Christ is here. Stirred up Herod so much that he committed infanticide. All the male children, two years and younger. Years Earlier, later, he would ride in on a donkey. 
And he didn't come riding in on a donkey in order to overthrow an oppressive government. Can you imagine? Hey, Jesus, what are you coming in here for? I'm going to overthrow Rome, riding on a donkey. Can you imagine it? I mean, boy, that's a threat, right? Hey, this one guy's going to get us. That's not what he came for. He came to disarm the authorities, not the Roman authorities, the spiritual authorities, the demonic. But it also says here, describes him as the Savior and Christ and the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the sovereign. He is the master. He is the king. He is ruler over everything. And he made his entrance just like every other human makes their entrance. The Lord is described, I think, in the three Psalms. Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Psalm 22 is referred to as the cross. Psalm 23, the crook. Psalm 24, the crown. Psalm 22, if you haven't read it lately, you ought to read it. It gives an incredibly accurate description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It describes Him as one who is scorned by mankind and despised by people. But by the end of Psalm 22, it points out and says that His kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. The one who is despised is the king. And this baby would be despised. And he would be king. Psalm 23 speaks to us about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And what does he do? He shepherds us. He leads us. He encourages us. He provides for us. He's the one who leads us in paths of righteousness and who restores our soul. I need a restored soul today. The Lord, He's the one. He restores our soul. He is the shepherd carrying the shepherd's crook leading us as His children. Lastly, Psalm 24 Ask a question, who's this king of glory? Who is it? Who is he? It's Jesus. He's the king of glory. He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. That's who he is. The angel saying, let me announce something to you. Your Savior, your Messiah, your Sovereign. 
is being born today in Bethlehem. That's good news. And do you know that message provokes the most powerful and the strongest praise? I mean, because right after we see unto you is born this day and the Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. How do you know you found him? He's going to be wrapped in twaddling claws and lying in a manger. And let me tell you something. You're probably not going to find any other male children lying in a manger on this night. So you'll know that's the one. And when you tell the mom what happened out in the field, she's not going to think you're crazy. She's going to think, Well, the Lord's letting people know. (laughs) Now, one angel is all that was needed to deliver this message. But it took a multitude of angels to proclaim the glory of God because of the message. I mean, look what it says. It says the place filled up. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Why? Look at the message. I'm redeeming sinful mankind through this child. And the angels are excited about it. And they come Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Man, I wonder what kind of roar that was. I mean, y'all ever been to some of the concerts? I used to set up concerts in Shreveport, part of the local stagehands union there. And we'd set up concerts. And I'm going to tell you, they bring in speakers that were just ginormous. I mean, they were huge. And people would stand in front of those things. And I know that they can't hear thunder right now, okay? Because those things were booming, all right? We always wore earplugs if we showed up for the show. But I mean, it was just loud. And it's kind of like the louder, the better. And I don't know why that was, because you couldn't even understand things. But this was not only, I believe, loud because of the number of voices that there were. I think it was clear as a bell. I don't think there was any distortion because the speakers were rattling. I believe that it filled up and it sounded glorious. It was beautiful. And those angels were praising God. It was clear and it was coming from a love. Not only of the Father and the Son, but the love of the gospel. Angels long to look into the things that God has done for us. And they were praising God. Here's the message. Glory to God in the highest. This is saying glory to God forever going up to Him. Glory forever going up to God. That's the result of this message. I mean, we live our lives for what? The glory of God. 
We live our lives to pour out to the glory of God forever for God's glory to be coming up out of us and praising Him. That our lives would be spent and lived in a way that glorifies God. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God is glorified in the birth of his child. And God is glorified in that peace goes everywhere, wherever this child is received. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace forever coming down from God. Glory forever going up to God. Peace forever coming down to God. You see, the focus isn't us. The focus is God. And that peace is coming down from Him to whom, to those with whom He is pleased. The King James Version says, Peace, goodwill among men. None of the uh, uh, modern translations agree with that translation. They all agree with this one, with whom he is pleased. In other words, apart from God's glory, there is no peace from God. Apart from God's glory, there's no peace. You won't have peace apart from God. He's the peace giver. And the peacemaker, he is peace. God is glorified when he is seen and experienced as he is. So what I'm going to give you today on what God's glory is. It is God being seen and experienced as He is. And He is the God of peace. Let's talk for a minute about how we apply this. That God is glorified when we have peace with Him. When we have peace with ourselves and when we have peace with others, that's how God's glorified. First of all, Romans 5, 1. Romans 5, 1. Paul reminds us and writes after teaching for some time on justification. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no peace with God. The Bible tells us that we're enemies with God. And we're enemies until God makes us his children. He brings peace to us. How so? He justifies us. How does justification happen? God's grace is poured out. The gospel is proclaimed. 
we hear the gospel and believe it. Where does all that come from? It comes from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Well, salvation is the gift of God. What's that consist of, grace and faith? Well, where does that come from? God gives it as a gift. That's it. We have peace with God. There's no way to peace with God except through his son, Jesus Christ. Except through this one who was born. Except through the God-man who laid his life down so that mankind could hear the gospel and be saved. Do you have peace with God? Having peace with God doesn't mean you do everything right. Having peace with God means that God has done all to save you. And that peace comes from him justifying you, declaring you righteous. You say, well, I'm not righteous. Well, I already knew that. But God declares you righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. And God is glorified in that. He's glorified when people are saved. When their sins, although they're scarlet, they become white as snow. But also, I mean, it's saying here in Luke chapter 2, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. We're not talking about freedom from chaos. We're talking about peace in the middle of it. There's plenty of chaos going on in this world. And our hearts do not have to be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, he said. He calls us to have peace with ourselves. He said, man, you know, you're not getting all psychology on me and everything. Well, no, I'm not. But before you make too much fun of psychology, understand God made us psychological beings. Behaviors are pretty evident and relevant. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we're reminded that the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great news? I know y'all have read that before, when there's no peace in your mind and no peace in your heart, right? I think we miss that sometimes. Don't be anxious. We, we sure sometimes stop there. Don't be anxious, but pray. And we've missed the result. The result is, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. How? In Christ Jesus. In Him. As believers. Get you a picture of that, okay? Take Take a snapshot in your mind of what's being said here. Don't be anxious. But pray. Give thanks. And the peace of God, 
it says. Who'll guard your hearts? Who's guarding your heart? It says right there, Christ Jesus is. Can you all imagine the power and authority? Remember, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's the place of power and authority. Imagine the power and authority of Jesus Christ guarding your heart in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your fears, in the midst of your struggles and your sorrows and your pains and your sadness and your grief. And there's Jesus Christ standing in a post. It's kind of like, nobody can have your heart but me. None of these fears, none of these anxieties, none of the minions of Satan can have your heart because your heart is mine. Rest in peace knowing that. Rest in peace knowing that I've got you. To have peace with ourselves because of Jesus. And lastly, have peace with others. This one's kind of hard. Because peace with others is not just dependent upon you, is it? Chapter 12 of Romans, verse 18. Paul lays something out that we all already know. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As much as it depends on you. That's the part. Because we know all of it doesn't depend on us. It depends on others. But as much as it depends on you, as much as it depends on me, be at peace with everyone. If there's some people that have hurt me, be at peace with them. Be at peace with them. It don't mean you got to buy them a Christmas present. Just be at peace with them. All right? This is the hardest one. What are we to do? Forgive. We're to get rid of anger. We're to get rid of malice. Might as well go to Ephesians chapter 4. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's warnings. Bad things to happen to somebody. But instead, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be at peace with one another. Like I said, this is the hardest one because it doesn't just depend on you. So, being at peace with one another is really about. Your heart being at peace with God. Clearing things with God. Knowing in your heart, God, I love you. And your love is overflowing in me to where I love this person too. This little refrain by the angels is not just a nice little thing to put on a coffee cup. 
It really invades our own lives and calls us to a radical way of living to where everything in our life is about being upward. And forever, forever, having glory going up to him. And his peace always coming down to us. And all of that happens as we continue to believe the living God who loved us and gave himself up for us. All of these things are good things to consider as we gather around this table of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, to consider our peace with God, that we have peace with God, that we are justified in Him. To consider, am I daily trusting Him? Or am I trusting myself and my ability to get myself out of the anxiety and the sorrow and the grief and the pain? Am I trusting Him? Am I hoping in Him? Am I walking in love with others? And considering their needs greater than my own. This table is a meal of significance for us, and we're remembering Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're renewing our commitment through faith and repentance, coming to Him, seeking His fellowship, knowing we are in fellowship. Because of the grace of God. And then lastly, realizing our future hope. The hope of the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a predecessor of that. I mean, actually sitting down and having a meal with the Lord. Can you imagine? We really can't imagine. I don't think our imaginations are that good. It's going to be far, far more than we can imagine to be with him. And if any of us are there with him, it will be because of him. It will be because of his grace. It will be because of his love. No one will be there because of what you have done. No one will, none of you will be there because of what you have decided. All of us who will be there will be there because of what Christ did. Period. And so, as believers in Jesus Christ, we come to the table. I want us to remember that it's baptized believers 
who are permitted to take the table. Those who have called on Jesus Christ and believed in Him and have been baptized in believer's baptism. Not as babies, but as believers. As those who have called on the Lord and they have been saved and they follow the Lord in obedience by baptism. So if there are children gathered with us today who have not professed Christ or who have professed Christ, but they have not been baptized, they should not participate and partake in the Lord's Supper. If you're a guest with us today, you're welcome to participate with us as we take this table. If you are a baptized believer and a member of an evangelical church that preaches the gospel of salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. If you would be permitted to take this ordinance at your church today, we invite you to receive it with us. And if today in your examination of yourself you find unforgiveness or no peace with God, no peace with others, or if you are boldly living in unrepentant sin, you shouldn't participate in this ordinance. Let's take a moment of examination and then we'll partake of this table.